History records a, a probably anecdotal incident in the life of the comedian Julius Marx, uh, better known by his stage name Groucho. Um, and the story goes, he, he, he decided one day to resign from an exclusive club in which he had been enrolled. And the story goes that when uh, he did so, he did by means of a simple telegram saying, please accept my resignation. I don't want to belong to any club that would accept someone like me as a member. Um, and, and I wonder, can, can you relate to that at all? Um, I know sometimes when I'm hanging out with my, especially my long-term buddies, uh, we'll just be hanging out and I'll be listening to them talking and I'll, and I'll say to myself, you know, I, I can't do any better than this, but I, I really wish I could. Um, <laughs> if anyone is thinking about your spouse right now, stop. <laughs> Don't say anything. Don't look guilty. Um, but... But how about being a Christian? What, what do we feel about that club? Um, because all too often people can look at the Christian community, even, even people inside it, and, and say, you know, hmm, I'm not so sure about this. Um, we, we, we have people who, who say, you know, yeah, you know, okay, Christians, that's, that's interesting. I don't really see myself fitting in this, this whatever you're doing because you guys have your, your rules and your morals and your politics and your, your weird dress code you never talk about, but you all seem to know about. Um, and, and that's not me. And if I got to the point where you guys liked me, I wouldn't recognize or like myself, so no thank you. Um, or, or, or um, you know, Christianity would be great if it, if it wasn't for the Christians. Um, have we heard someone say that, even if in not so many words? Have we said that, uh, even if in not so many words? So my, uh, the, the problem is, is when we talk to the people in our lives outside these walls, they, they do ask hard questions, and they share real, true, painful stories about their interactions with Christians. Um, and when they come to us, it's, it's usually not flattering. Um, and we have to ask, well, how do we respond to that? What do we do? Because it's very easy to just join in functionally and say, oh, yeah, no, those, those Christians were terrible, but don't worry. I'm one of the good ones. Um, and so do we, do we sacrifice the relationship in order to defend the faith? Or do we sacrifice our integrity, uh, by pretending we're one of the good ones, to save the relationship? The, th the thing is, what, do we even know why we often fail uh, so often at loving people? This isn't a uniquely Christian problem. Contrary to popular culture, we didn't actually invent being terrible, unpleasant, hypocritical people. Uh, that's the inheritance of everybody. Uh, we share in that, uh, but, but we didn't start it. People are tasked with loving each other and serving together and working together. And far too often it's a joyless, contentious process. We're, we're innately social beings that can't stand each other. Uh, why? What's going on there? And, and, and what's the proper response to it? It's not a uniquely Christian problem. And it's not a problem from which Christians are automatically exempt. But I do believe that it is a problem for which uniquely Christians possess an answer. Uh, so if you will, we're we looking at Philippians chapter 2 today. If you're rocking a pew Bible, I believe that's on page 981. 
um, starting in verses 19 going through 24, and it'll be up there on the screen for us. And, and this, is a, this is an intimate passage. Paul is writing. Some of his rhetoric is, you know, soaring and, and didactic and insightful. And this, one's, this, this section is really personal. He is communicating to the Philippians, talking about um, the, their relationship together and what he hopes and what's going on with them. And, and I think that between the lines and within the words of this section, we might see some glimmer of hope for the possibility of joy in serving together. So I, I will read. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Christ Jesus. But you know Timothy's proven worth. How as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. I hope therefore to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. This was... Paul's word to the Philippians long ago, and this is God's word for us today. Because Christians hope in Jesus, we can joyfully serve together in the gospel. Because Christians hope in Jesus, we can joyfully serve together in the gospel. What do I mean by that? Uh, we're, we're right in the middle of the letter here. Philippians chapter 2, you've got just about as much to the left of it as you have to the right of it. And, and Paul's been writing from prison to this, this, this church he and his protege, Timothy, started up a while ago. And, and he's been encouraging them. He's been letting them know that he's so thankful for their support, their partnership in the gospel. And he is encouraging them. He's saying, guys, even though I'm in prison, the gospel's still moving forward out here. The other Christians in this area are emboldened. They're still spreading the word. Um, and and he's, he's exhorting them to say, guys, be unified. Be of one mind, one purpose. Love each other. Serve each other. Emulate the humility of Christ in everything you do together. And, and it's into that, that dialogue he's having with them, that our section shows up. And, and the, the details of this are, are, are pretty straightforward. He's just like, hey guys, wish Timothy could come. Uh, say hi to you guys. Then he could come and tell me what's going on. That'd make me happy. But he can't come. That's unfortunate. Timothy's great, though. Be like Timothy. Uh, I'll come when I can. Thanks. Bye, Paul. Um, and it's kind of weird, though, because that's usually end of the letter stuff, right? I mean, you get the high, the body, some, some travelogue, wish I were there with yous, and then the sign out. Uh, but it's not. It's right here in the middle. And so why is that? And come to think of it, why is Paul going on about the character and qualities of someone who's not actually even coming? Uh, at least not yet. It's, it's interesting. Paul, well, he's in prison for his faith. W- what even does he expect to hear back from, this, from this, this church in Philippi? If Timothy does go, if Timothy does come back, and he brings a report, why does Paul expect that that's going to improve anything, that that's going to make him happy, to, to bring him joy? What is it that unites these people? I hope in the Lord Jesus, Paul writes. That's how he opens verse 19. In 23 and 24, he, he hopes again. He trusts in the Lord. That's, that's, that's the context in which he frames this entire conversation. And, and I think that's appropriate because that's, that's the hope that defines Christians. 
when we consider the nature and character of God as, as revealed in the natural world and, and the revelation of Scripture, um, when, we, when we consider our own failures to that law, to that perfection, when, when our heart breaks and is convicted by the Holy Spirit of our sin, when we hear the story of the gospel and we learn at what great cost God reconciled man to himself, um, and we, we repent and believe in Jesus, when we hear that gospel word, we hope in Jesus, and it's that that not only defines Christian, it's what makes them. And if it stopped there, if, if we learned about God because it was written on a rock somewhere uh, all by ourselves, and then immediately God said, okay, you're good, you're a Christian now, and he teleported us out of the world, you know, individual, instantaneous rapture one by one, that would be very simple and very straightforward and very efficient. I wonder sometimes why God didn't do that. Um, but instead he did something different in his wisdom, and he left us in the world. Life goes on. The world goes on. Christians aren't made and don't live in a vacuum. God doesn't save people in isolation. So we're transferred from membership in one kingdom to another, from sin and death to freedom and righteousness in Christ, from Satan's kingdom to God's. But the downside is that kingdoms have people in them either way. And so one way or another, we don't get to escape from people. And because Christians hope in Jesus, we can joyfully serve in the gospel together. How? In light of all these outline difficulties, how? I think this text gives us three hints, three expressions of this larger point. Uh, the first of which is this, because of a shared hope in Jesus, Christians can love people that are unlike them. Now where am I getting this from? Uh, look with me again at verses 20 and 21, if you will. Uh, speaking of Timothy, Paul writes, I have no one like him or uh, of like mind, is another way of, of looking at that, who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare, for they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. Now, now reading that, my first question personally is, well, who are these, these others that Paul is kind of dining out, uh, these people who seek their own interests? Uh, and, and scholars debate about that. Uh, the... the the most common argument I've heard is the, the folks Paul referred to a little earlier in the letter, these guys who were preaching Christ out of selfish ambition. But regardless of who Paul is exactly picturing when he's, he's mentioning this, it, I think it's more important what he's actually trying to say. And, and really, he's, he's contrasting. He's holding up Timothy and these other guys to create a contrast. What he's actually saying to the Philippians is he says, guys, Timothy is in your corner. He loves you. Just like I do. Man, everyone out there is just out for themselves, looking out for number one, but not Timothy. And how does he explain this? So he, he holds up Timothy and, and these other nameless knuckleheads side by side, and it's, what is it that makes Timothy different? Well, instead of looking out for himself, Timothy is seeking the interests of Jesus. Unlike every other Tom, Dick, and Hezekiah stomping around the ancient world at that time. Because of that, because he's seeking the interests of Jesus, Timothy, this half-Jewish kid, apprentice preacher, is able to love these people in this church that he helped start that are nothing like him. Even, even the church in Philippi itself is an example of this principle. Um, if, if you remember our earlier 
messages in this series, Michael shared with us a little bit about what we know based off the book of Acts, who was in this church. And there were probably some more people than, than are recorded, but we have uh, kind of an interesting rogues gallery of characters. What do a, do a Roman corrections officer, a formerly demon-possessed, tarot card-slinging, palm-reading slave girl, and a, a, a strong, independent, small businesswoman just making her way in a man's world have in common? What does that small group look like? Um, but against all odds and all good sense, uh, this group, this church is meeting together. They're, they're serving and loving each other, and, and they know Paul's in jail for being a Christian. And, and because Paul's writing them about persecution, not just on his own side, but on theirs, there's, there's, more than likely they're experiencing some social pushback uh, themselves. And they keep meeting together. They keep reaffirming their bonds of affection one with the other. And you have to ask why these people that are so different are able to love each other. Now, at this point, someone who's, who's listening with a more skeptical ear, I know you guys all love me and just accept what I say uncritically, but um, if such a person were in the audience, they, they, they might rightly say that at this point all I'm really doing is edging towards making a case that Christians can love other Christians that are unlike them because at least they share this hope in the gospel. But I think, I think our text and, and the full witness of scripture says much more than that uh, in no small part because, again, what is it that makes Timothy special? Paul's not pointing to his, his strong moral upbringing or his, his, his personal moral fiber. He says, Timothy seeks the interests of Jesus. And if we look at, in the Gospels, if we just scratch the surface, we don't even have to go that far, we see that the interest of Jesus is to seek and save what is lost. Jesus longed for the hearts of people who were far from God. It animated his every breath and his every action in his years of ministry on this earth. And it occupies his focus to this day. The fact is, is, is Christians can love people unlike them because of a shared hope in Jesus, and especially unbelievers, especially those who are lost, because every one of us, that's who we were when Christ found us. Every Christian once stood where non-believers now stand. And the transition between the two was not the result of any personal merit. And it's always been that way. Um, Deuteronomy, was it 7? Yeah, seven. Uh, so Old Testament, verses six through eight. Moses is, is talking to the people in Israel, and, and he says, For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession. Of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth, it was not because you were more in number than any of the other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you. For you were the fewest of all peoples, but it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery. Uh, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Um, or, or even if you bring it forward, you know, that's Old Testament. In, in 1 Corinthians 1, uh, 26 through 29. Paul's writing to a, a different church, one that has, um, he has a more tumultuous relationship with than the Philippians, shall we say. Um, th this church was struggling with massive self-satisfaction issues. 
um, which is usually a clue for uh, us moderns to keep our ears open. It's probably applicable to us. Um, And Paul says, consider your calling, my brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. So for believers, you you can take that as an encouragement. You can take heart. The witness of Scripture suggests that there's a good chance you're actually, objectively worse than other people. That's exciting. And yet, the grace of God has come to such as we. Can we deny any non-believer anything, anywhere, the same love we have received and yet surely do not deserve? Christians can love people unlike them because in Christ God loved us first. And when we align our interests with his, when we, we, we will love in the same self-sacrificial, lostness-seeking way. And I, and I have to wonder, how do we do that today? I mean, here in this room, getting practical for, for a brief moment. I, I don't like practical. I much prefer abstract. But um, if we were to soil our hands with the nitty-gritty of the issue, how do we love each other? What does that look like in here? Um, who, who in this room do we, do we see on Sundays? And we're like, yeah, they go to my church. I like them. I love them even because the Bible says I have to. But, but, but who among us has missed out on our, our prayers, on our service, on our time, just because they were a, a little bit outside of our, our personal comfort zone. Like, uh, you know, I know, these guys are in my demographic. I'm going to talk to them. I'm going to hang out to them. Is it, is it our age? Is it our gender? Is it our, our interests, our hobbies that are uniting us? Or is it our shared hope in Jesus? Is that enough to cause us to love each other? And outside these walls, are there people that we know who don't share our hope. Um, and, and when we look at them, when we think about them, do we look at them remembering that we stood where they once stood um, and in so doing forget the seeking, saving heart of Christ? I don't know. But even if we can love, how does it follow that we can have joy in serving together? Okay, we're loving each other. Where does joy in serving together come from? Because I think that's the second part that we can see here in this passage. Because of a shared hope in Jesus, Christians can share in useful service together. If you'll, if you'll look with me in verses, uh, remembering what we learned in 21, er, 20 and 21, look with me at 22. But you know Timothy's proven worth. How as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. Actually, I really like how the the King James version puts it. But ye know the proof of him. Uh, It's kind of awesome. (laughs) Timothy is seeking the interests of Jesus. How did that play out? What did that look like? Again, being practical about this. What does doing that, seeking the interests of Jesus, culminate in? Well, in Timothy's case, Paul's pretty clear. It's a proven, point-toable track record of faithful service in the gospel. 
Paul, Paul is commending Timothy to the church in Philippi, and he doesn't do it by, by telling all these stories about how Timothy's great. He says, hey, remember when he was there? You know this guy. You saw him rolling his sleeves up and working and serving. I have too. So Paul is able to point to Timothy's walk, not just his talk, but his walk, when he commends him to the church in Philippi. Not only is Timothy not out for himself like these other jokers, but you can see in his service the hope that he has in Jesus. You know Timothy's proven worth. I think Paul is sharing something significant here. Uh, This was a letter to a church. They were already card-carrying members of Club Christian. But here he takes the time to hold up Timothy's track record of service in the gospel because mental assent to Christian doctrine is important. It's absolutely vital. Um, You're not going to repent and believe if you don't know what you're believing and you don't believe it. But right now, Paul is holding up the distance in a believer's life between what he claims to believe and what his life looks like. The, the, The difference between the walk and the talk. And Paul is holding up Timothy and saying, with this guy, you can't even see daylight between the two. Do Christians, do we settle for mental assent to doctrine when God has instead called us to a life of shared service? Because we aren't teleported out of life when we're saved. But instead, we are dropped smack dab into the middle of a bunch of people just as confused as we are, uh, wondering how we're going to walk out this whole Christian thing. Equally undeserving, equally confused, what does living in this new shared hope mean? We believe, now what do we do with it? Well, we love each other. We, We already talked about that. But we walk it out by coming together and serving. I love the book of James. It's, it's kind of an angry letter. I mean, in the best possible way. I picture him yelling this at kids on his lawn sometimes. Um, but it's an epically brutal letter in a lot of ways. Um, and, and I feel like he's yelling at me, which just, just brings me so much joy. Um, in the second chapter of James, he, he gives Christians both barrels. Um, he says, What good is it, my brothers, If someone says he has faith but does not have works, can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warm and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. It's absolutely a step in the right direction to believe that God exists. That's a good thing. But but if we're resting our hope in that, be aware that the list of names that know God exists include Satan and his demons. So don't, don't, don't stand on that. Our shared hope in Jesus is a living hope. It's not a dead and empty one that, that checks a mental belief box and then doesn't go anywhere. Mark 10.45, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And when Jesus says that, he, I mean, he's telling us an, an eternal metaphysical truth, but he's also talking to his disciples in the context of, of explaining what it, 
means to be counted great amongst Christians. And that's by the character of their humility and shared service. Does this greatness mark our lives? Are we serving? Why are we here today? When, when we came through the doors, why did we come through? Is it a habit? Is it a social thing? Did, did we come to consume? Or did we come to serve? And, and don't get me wrong, I mean, I come here to be refreshed by you guys every week. I come to share and worship um, and, and so many things. But I, I don't come... I try not to come to have my preferences and my vanities appeased. I try to come with a heart of service. And, and I, believe, I believe you all do, but I urge all of us week by week, day by day, moment by moment, to, to question our hearts when we consider what is the church. Um, and, and when we start comparing our shopping lists and saying, well, does it have these programs? Are these programs of a high enough quality? Is this meeting my needs? If, if we are, in fact, shopping for a club, maybe we should consider resigning because it would accept people like us as a member. Is there some part of us uh, testimony time was a great example today. Everybody was, was sharing in open um, and that was amazing to see. And I, and I know sometimes I've had something to say and said nothing um, because I was just feeling tired or shy or not up to it. Um, like I said, you guys were great today. Keep doing that. But I know sometimes that I think God's done something in my week that I haven't put to words because I didn't have the courage to that day. And I suspect it was something that, that God had done in my life that, that ought to have been lifted up. Maybe that's another way we can look inside ourselves and ask, are we serving? Are we serving our, our fellow Christians as we come week by week to the church? Are we testifying to what God is doing in our lives? Or, or do we know people who claim to be Christians who say, yeah, I'm good with Jesus, I just, uh, you know, but their life is totally unmarked by any mark of that greatness of service, by any fellowship with the body of Christ. Perhaps you can serve them and in so doing disciple them and model the service that, that speaks to the shared hope that you both share. If we are loving, if we are serving, what then happens? What follows from that? Because of a shared hope in Jesus, Christians can rejoice in every advance of the gospel. And I think this is the fullness of what Paul is really saying in this section, what he's really communicating. In verse 19, uh, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I may be cheered by news of you. And in 23 and 24, he renews those sentiments. He hopes again. He trusts again in the Lord. And he's going to send Timothy because he wants to hear back from this church in Philippi. Just as soon as he can send Timothy, he wants to figure out what's going to happen in his own situation, probably so he can send Timothy with information so that the Philippians aren't worrying, geez, what's going on with Paul? I hope he's okay. Um, so why? I asked this earlier. Why is this travelogue here, where it is in the letter? Why would sending Timothy, hearing back from Timothy, a report on the situation in Philippi, why would that give Paul any cause to expect joy? And I think that's why this section is where it is in the letter, because like, like I mentioned earlier, Paul's been exhorting the congregation to be united, to continue in the work of advancing the gospel, and he's been thanking them for their ongoing partnership 
in the, uh, in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, as he puts it in chapter 1. He's telling them that there are lights shining in the darkness. And he says that even if he were to die in that cell, he would know that he had not labored in vain because of their faithful pursuit of the witness to what Christ had done in them. Paul's expected joy is to hear that this church, these people he loves, these people he has served with, is continuing onward and upward faithfully in the proclamation of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the joy. That's the joy Paul expects to have. He expects to send out Timothy and Timothy to come back and to tell him, Paul, the church is united. The church has the mind of Christ. They are preaching the good news and people are being saved. And Paul, whether he's in prison, out of prison, in a new prison because he's in more trouble, Paul expects to rejoice when he hears that because of his shared hope with the Philippians in Jesus. Who here among us has ever said, we scored a touchdown or, or we, we won the game, uh, even though you, 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 you ain't in, in enough shape to play sports. You're, you're watching it on a screen miles and miles away. Um, but, but you share in the victory because that's your team. Those are your people. That's who you identify with. And um, it's your club. It's your kingdom. And when, when the gospel spreads to anyone anywhere, whether we speak the language, whether we will ever meet that person, whether their life will ever affect or influence ours in any way, we can rejoice because our team is victorious. Because we have a new brother or sister in the people that God is claiming for himself, pulling out of one kingdom and bringing into ours. In Luke 15, Jesus reveals another eternal metaphysical truth in the, in the context of, of a series of parables. But he tells us that the very angels of heaven rejoice every time a sinner repents and comes to belief in Christ. And, and if that is the case, I have to ask, how can we then not do the same? And, and if we're not experiencing joy together, if we're not loving each other, if we're not serving together, I, I have to ask, could it be that it's because we've forgotten our first love? Could it be that if we're not experiencing joy, if we're getting bogged down in the details, if our witness is being extinguished by politics and programs and committees, if, if, if we're, we're not having joy, could it be it's because the saving power of Jesus has retreated so far into the backgrounds of our thinking about what being a Christian means. Well, why would that work smoothly? Why, why would the engine of the church, this, this, this beautiful, living, terribly complicated, messed up machine God made to, to advance the gospel, if it's trying to produce something else than gospel advancement, why would that machine operate smoothly? It's a retrofit. It wasn't designed to do that. Where is the gospel in our lives right now? Is it, is it sounding forth from us personally? Where is the gospel moving in the world? And, and on that account, Christians, may I encourage you. There is cause to rejoice. I, I had the opportunity to go to the Northwest Baptist Convention uh, this past week. 
Uh, I got sick while I was there. I was kind of a wet blanket. Michael kept me on task, um, and it was a good thing because um, I got to meet a lot of people. I got to hear a lot of stories. Um, so guess what? The, the Holy Spirit is still poured out on the face of the earth. And he's moving. In just our little corner of the country, people are coming to Christ and sharing in our hope. Other countries in, in Asia and Africa actually have such a gospel root in them that they are sending missionaries over to our heathen shores. They're looking at us and saying, y'all need Jesus. <laughs> and it's awesome. Um, decaying, hopeless towns are experiencing rebirth revitalization, revival, because the gospel has hit them like flames on a stack of dry timber. Uh, I, I lived in this, this depressed m- town in the mountains called, called Morton uh, for a very pivotal year of my life, and, and the chief exports were methamphetamine and, and welfare um, chits, and they, people bartered in some parts. Anyway, it was, it was this, this depressed post-logging boom collapse town um, when I left and I drove through a few years back and the air had changed. There was hope again. I didn't know why. A couple months later I found out there's a new church plant there. The gospel is spreading. It's changing people's lives. I felt it before I knew. And that gives me, and I pray because through our shared hope, that gives you cause to rejoice. What can supplant our joy in the advance of the gospel? What can match the joy of knowing that unmerited grace has been given to someone else who now stands where we once stood? Is there any labor that we can conceive of that will echo so profoundly in eternity? I, don't, I can't think of any. I can conceive of nothing outside of this shared hope we have in the gospel of Jesus that gives answer to the terrible reality of human self-centeredness. Because of this shared hope, we can love people unlike ourselves. We can serve together and we can rejoice, but far too often we just don't. We judge people outside the church for behaving like they have no reason not to. They don't share our hope. And, and inside the church, we, we often do Satan's job for him and accuse the church. We... We come to our churches wondering what we can give, uh, or what we can what we can receive rather than what we can give, and and we do rejoice when we learn that the gospel has advanced. We know enough to know we were supposed to do that, but far too often, I at the very least, I mean, gaze inward on yourself. But 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 I respond to that information with with the level of enthusiasm usually reserved for hearing that a distant relative's irritating skin rash is cleared up. Oh, well, that's good. Yeah, good news. Glad to hear it. Is that our joy? Christian doctrine is unique in that it provides a, a coherent, cogent, systematic reason for why we could have joy in serving together. But in and of themselves, Christians are no better at making that actually happen than anybody else in the world who doesn't even have a philosophical reason for why they should do so. I mean, we have the advantage of having a reason to do it. We just, you know, don't do it. Uh, But thanks be to God that Christians are not left in and of themselves. The gospel is not only judicial, 
um, in its action, but it's also transformative. And I think we focus on the judicial side because we feel the weight of our sins and we know what God has done for us. Jesus died for our sins that God's just wrath at sin might be propitiated, yes, but he also did so so that those who believed in him could have a new life. When we open Jesus, we don't only receive his record of righteousness judicially, but we also receive his Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ, transformatively. The gospel, the good news of Jesus' sinless life, atoning death, and vindicating resurrection. It's not only the reason we joyfully serve together, and it's not just the content of that service together, but it is the very power by which we do so. In, uh, this is why elsewhere, in another letter, in the second chapter of the book of Galatians, Paul can say with confidence, because he's fired up in Galatians, so you know he means it when he says it, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, because we don't get to be taken out of the world, we're stuck here, I live in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. So Christian, if you have tried to love, to serve, to have joy, and it failed, take heart. As Paul, as Paul said to this, this people in Philippi, he loved, I, I say now to you, I am confident that he who began a good work in you will complete it at the day of Christ Jesus. We are all a work in progress. Please do not go away with, with today in your mind as a sanctified guilt trip. Why can't you be more like Timothy? He was an apprentice to an apostle. <laughs> um, when you accepted hope in Jesus and became a Christian, you accepted his record of righteousness and place in your own. Uh, rest in that hope and accept his spirit in place of your own and love and serve and rejoice out of that well, and I promise you it will never run dry. And, and, and non-believers, be patient with the Christians God has placed into your life. We're just as messed up as everybody else out there, maybe even more so, especially if you believe 1 Corinthians. And we will screw up and we will fail you time and time again, and we will be terrible representations of the hope that's in us. But please listen to us, hear our stories about who we were when Christ found us and know that wherever we're at now, it was once worse before and we credit the change through no merit of ourselves but to Jesus. And we commend that gospel to you with everything we have as a treasure valued above all else. We offer it as the single most significant truth ever uttered by the lips of men and that is that Jesus saves May we rest in that hope. May we serve in that hope and entrust our love and service and joy to the care and providence of Almighty God. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, you are great and holy and glorious. And you have entrusted your word and the spirit of your Son to the most foolish and weak of peoples, even us. 
God, you have shown us grace. You have chosen a people for yourselves out of the least numerous and least glorious. We, are, we carry this gospel treasure in, in jars of clay that are our weakness and our flesh, and God, we glorify you that our lives are changed, that we can love each other, even haltingly, because you loved us first and you loved us so well. God, help us to serve. Not because we need to fill a time slot or, or to make us feel a little bit better about it because we're supposed to, but because we're so overflowing with joy and gratitude at your greatness and your love that we can't do anything else. God, thank you for the cross. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for bringing us here together today and building us up. Thank you for giving everything that we might receive and in turn share with a dying world the hope that we have in Jesus. I pray all this to your glory and in the name of your beloved Son. Amen.